This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. This is the Fedora Chronicles radio show number 58, and I'm your host, Eric Render King Fisk. This time, Doug Plumbo and I start the conversation talking about Hollywood's self-love for itself during the Oscar season. Then we move on to our favorite whiskey this month, racism in Hollywood, hashtag nerd lives matter, what we're drinking tonight, and then we bring it all around to the Oscars again with what should have won Best Picture in years past. It's a merry-go-round of retro-themed shenanigans. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. And tell me if I'm wrong. Get wrong. <laughs> Eric is right. About this specific issue. Okay. We like to talk about movies. Yes. And um, I think that in, in the past, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Or what's the phrase I'm looking for? The Oscars used to be like our Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, I think so. Like, um, I don't want to say back in the old days because it's, it's always been very um, self-serving of an event. Uh, but it – and, you know, people have always used it as a platform to talk about, uh, you know, some cause or another. You know, infamously, you know, Marlon Brando didn't go up to accept his re- award. He sent his uh, Native American uh, friend – Right. I don't know, girlfriend or something. I don't know. Don't know. His associate. Yeah. Uh, to to pick up the award for him, uh, he was you know protesting something or other. Um, so they've always used it as a platform for that, but they, it it always seemed to be uh, less uh, prevalent than it is today. Um, and this last Academy Awards was really, uh, you know, full of you know people making statements, and that's fine. That's that's. They can use the time to say whatever they want. Just it gets to be, um, a, it it seems to be a little self-serving, and it just gets a little tiring after a while. Not because somebody has an opinion and they and they want to, um, you know, advance a cause. I actually find that admirable. It just, you know, they just seem to be so. Um, I keep saying it, self-serving. It's so so into themselves that that. You forget about whatever good work they did, and then it's like, oh God, get over it. You know, save exactly. it for another time. You know, there, 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 there seems to be a time and place, and maybe there isn't, but it's just, ah, uh, it just seems to be they go on about whatever cause it is. Well, this Oscar season for the Academy Awards has been tainted because there were no, um. There were no black people nominated for any of the really big awards, like um, actor, actress, whatever. And, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't see a lot of the movies this year, so I can't really say. But uh, and I'm not the only one saying this, and I know we're probably going to take a lot of heat for it. But it's like maybe there weren't good enough performances. You I mean, mean you mean to, to play tell Devil's me? Advocate, I don't yeah. know. You mean to tell me that out of all the black performances, there could there wasn't one that was worthy enough? I'm not saying for the Oscar itself, but an Oscar nomination. Seriously, and and, I but, don't know. and but yet at the same time, whereas is it how many white people have been nominated for a BET award? So the the entire notion with this year's Oscars has been was tainted with controversy even before. The first award was announced. Yeah. So, 
to just go on from there. So for me, the biggest controversy besides the whole thing about uh, nobody of color was nominated for any of the major, major awards, which I think yeah. is sad and tragic. And you had it is. if if I I said, you know, I don't know if any of the um, I haven't seen a lot of the movies, so there might have been very good performances by people of color or non-white actors. Uh, I don't know. But uh, according to the Academy, who you know, the, the voters of the Academy, they nobody of significance you know, had a performance worthy. And, uh, you know, clearly, because they didn't vote for them, whether for a nomination or or for the award itself. So, um, I mean, I'm not a voter, so I don't know, you know, how it works behind the scenes. But uh, I do think that Hollywood in general needs to do a better job of, you know, casting uh, non-white people. And I'm not saying to, like, you know, race swap, like, make... um, Sherlock Holmes, uh, you know, Chinese or uh, make a movie about Amelia Earhart and make her, you know, an African-American woman. I'm not saying that because I think that's just silly. That's pandering. That's pandering. Yeah. But, you know, cast um, like uh, I haven't read the Harry Potter books. I've seen the movies, but apparently there's no description saying that. And if, if I'm remembering an article I read correctly from J.K. Rowling that there's no description in the book stating that Hermione is white. There's yeah, some, yeah. There's some minor descriptions about her hair, I think, and stuff like that. But um, so in the new, uh, there's a play in England, I believe, um, based on the Harry Potter series, um, and they cast uh, a black actress as Hermione. And J.K. Rowling was like, that's totally cool because I never said she was white in the first place. Um, so, like, stuff like that, I don't care. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan, so maybe if I was, I, I would care. But, um, you know, that doesn't bother me. You know, go for it. And if um, up in the new Captain America movie, Civil War, um, in the comics, spoilers, if I don't know how they're going to do it in the movies, but in the comics, Captain America dies. Um if they pick uh, Anthony Mackie, who plays the Falcon, to be the new Captain America, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Because there's not only precedent in the comics, but even if there wasn't in the movie, it makes sense. Um, and I think that would be really, uh, really cool if, if, they, if, if they were to do that. So there, there are plenty of opportunities. Hollywood just has to do it. Well, here's a, here's a question I have. Take a famous black character. Um, Let's take one of the most famous one of all, Othello. Okay. And what if you? What if I said I'm making an all-white cast of Othello, and I am I am going to um, have um, name the whitest actor you can possibly. Um, Ewan McGregor, Obi Wan Kenobi from the Star Wars movies. Um, Ewan McGregor is going to be Othello. People would be freaking out and losing their minds over that. I think you're right. But the thing is, is like if you take some, if uh, if you take a, a famous, um, like like the Doctor or James Bond, and mm-hmm. you plug in a a black actor simply because well, it's time for a black actor to play the Doctor. Well, then okay, then using your logic, I can use I can. It's time for a white actor to play a black character. Um. Yes. However, I think. 
it works better, though, if the doctor did turn out to be black in some incarnation, because who's to say that he can't be black or a woman? Or, you know, is there anything in the mythos saying that he can't be? Well, here's here's the entire thing when it comes to the doctor. Or is it just that's what we're used to? Well, that's what we're used to. And the thing is, is that all of the incarnations of the doctor, all the actors who have played the doctor have looked in some way, shape or form pretty much as close to William Hartnell Hartnell as they they can get, who is the original doctor. Right. They have very sharp features, every doctor. Exactly. Exactly. And the thing is, is that every actor who has ever played... Um, the Doctor has some kind of passing resemblance to William Hartnell, the first Doctor. You could do that with a black person. I don't sure. Like I mean, and but here's the thing. Here's all I care about when it comes to any, anybody like the Doctor. Are the stories going to be any good? Or are we going to have 12 episodes of, hey, I'm a black Doctor now? And, right. uh, and, and the thing is, is it's going to be constantly fighting stereotypes where it's like you're going to have the Doctor doing... Um, and I know people are going to get pissed when I say this, but it's like typical black things. It's like, is all of a sudden, is he going to be like have, is he going to be doing like, like the stereotypical um, things that, that, uh, that are coupled with like black African-American stereotypes that would, that would disgust me. Yeah, as it should. And that's probably why, not to change the subject, but a little bit, it's probably why I didn't like Star Trek Voyager. Because to me, it seemed like, I like the fact that, and I think Kate Mulgrew is a wonderful She's actress. She's an awesome actress. And I think she was a very strong captain. I don't blame her. Um, I blame the scripts in some way that, some it, it, you know, looking back, it seemed to me that it was like, I'm a female captain. Look at me. I can be strong like a man, see? And, you know, I'm I'm not just a, you know, a uh, uh, a lowly housewife. I can be a strong, independent woman. And they really pushed that in your face. And I was like, all right, enough. Just let her be a good captain. I don't think in the 24th century people are going to give a sh- whether or not she's a good captain. I think the only thing that she can, can she do her missions and can she bring the ship back in relatively one piece? Yeah, who, who cares if it's a woman who or a man cares? or, you know, a robot? Who cares? Just do a good job. Are the stories any good? Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you could tell me, but it seemed like they focused on the fact that, look, it's a woman captain. Well, on top of that, the stories were always politically correct. It was so incredibly in your face. I don't want to use the word um, socialism, but it was like a lot of social engineering. It was sort of like at the end of the the, the um, Fat Albert, Bill Cosby always like sort of got got on the camera and always kind of gave the like the last five minute or or five, uh, thirty second coda, whereas right. it's like I'm going to lecture you about morality, and it was just like and it's the same thing that that William Shatner and the rest of the crew did on the in the original um, Star Trek. And they did it to a small extent where, you know, Captain Picard had to pull everything together through Patrick Stewart saying, well, this is the way it has to be. Number one, make it so. And they didn't really do that on Deep Space Nine because the, D- the coda of every episode of Deep Space Nine is outside of the Federation. Things suck balls. Things suck big, bad, dirty, filthy, sweaty, Klingon balls. Life okay. is horrible and dark. Whereas in with Star Trek Voyager, it was more like 
they put the morality lesson before entertainment. Right. And it was just like, and I felt so, and it got to the point where I, I love good science fiction and I will watch good science fiction no matter what. And there came a point during the sixth and seventh seasons, I could not, I could not stomach watching Star Trek Voyager, seeing what they were doing with the show, how they got rid of this wonderful actress, Jessica Lynn, um, who was, you know, I mean, she's not the mo- the prettiest thing to look at, but she was she was cute and adorable. And what then did she had- play? Kess. Oh boy! And then not they- to go off on a tangent, but you know what happened to her, right? Oh, oh well, yeah, well I'll, I'll get into that. So they replace her with a female Borg played by somebody who just didn't quite make the cut at the Playboy Mansion, Jerry Ryan. You know, and and she is, Jerry Ryan is exactly what you'd expect from a Playboy Playmate runner-up. And the thing is, is that for her to play a serious, strong character, she had to be angry all the time. And I'm sorry, you're not Kurt Douglas. You can't play angry all the time and I'm going to take you seriously as an actress. It doesn't. It does. I, it doesn't matter how big your natural boobs are. There just comes to a point where, lady, you're starting to piss me off. Right. But other than I have no strong feelings about Star Trek Voyager. Well, to bring it back around, so if it makes sense to do it, then by all means do it. But it's pandering otherwise to change the sex, race, or some other. Um, established characteristic for a character to change it just because and it does disservice to the story um and the series for that matter if it's a you know ongoing thing you know so i didn't see any really of the big movies but um i would like to think that there was good performances by non-white actors but maybe there wasn't i don't know i don't think we want to see people nominated just because Right. We have to be politically correct. That's, that's, that, you know, does a disservice to all those that win, you know, quote unquote legitimately, you know? Yeah. You know, it's acting. It, it's not, um, you know, you're, you're not curing cancer, but, you know, actors give us entertainment and they give us the escape that we're looking for and the motivation maybe to do stuff that we might not normally do when we see them. Uh, you know, do a performance. So, you know, they perform, I think, a, um, an, an important service in our uh, lives, not just for entertainment, but like I said, maybe as, as motivation and inspiration. So it is important in some ways, but, um, you know, they do seem to, um, you know, have a heavy handedly serve themselves, uh, you know, during what they call award season with the Oscars and the Grammys and the Tonys and the directors guild awards and people's choice. And it's like enough. Everything has to be perfect. We have to have And when Bill Clinton said that he wanted his cabinet to look like, look like America. And it was just like, here's the, the bottom line. Are the people qualified? Did the people do a good job at whatever it is that they're being asked to do or or whatever? Or do we just want to just feel good and just nominate people, whether it's for awards or cabinet positions or whatever, based solely on their looks? And then that entirely gets around to, it, that brings us back to full circle. 
we're going to nominate somebody not because they can perform the job, but because we like the way they look. They have the right. right color or they have the right gender. It's the same thing that they've been fighting, but only in reverse. And and what drives me crazy is that you can't even you can't even have this conversation without people vilifying you for whatever reason. And I'm just sort of sick and tired of it. And I'm sort of I'm also sick and tired of the the hashtag fill in the blank lives matter. But we'll talk about that later. We we're talking we're supposed to be talking about the Oscars. And I think that one of the things that astounded me the most is would you call Mad Max Fury Road science fiction? I haven't seen it, but um, I will say that um, from the from the concept that I've gathered, you know, by watching the trailers and hearing other people talk about it, it it seems science fiction because I don't think science fiction always has to be spaceships and robots. Um, Frankenstein, the original. Um, it is the it's the first, 32 yeah. I don't I forget the year that it that it came out but Boris Karloff that is one of my favorite science fiction stories of all time. Have you and ever read the book it's, though? It's almost pure science fiction. Have you ever read the book though? No, I haven't. Okay, let me just put it to you this way. Everything or not everything, almost everything in the realm of science fiction is really nothing more than a retelling of um, Frankenstein wherever you have a story about like science running away and running amok uh, it's it's Frankenstein it's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein whether it's Battlestar Galactica with the Cylons that's Frankenstein mm-hmm. um, Godzilla is in a very much the same way if if Godzilla is the creation of um, uh, atomic warfare or whatever or nuclear spills that's Frankenstein Robocop. Robocop. Robocop is another example of Frankenstein. It's almost a it's almost a direct copy of Frankenstein. It, it, it is, and the, and and especially if you look at Robocop two, which is I think yeah. I in I you cannot talk about Robocop without talking about Robocop two. Whereas they go ahead and okay, well we've made this one perfect police officer. Let's just put him aside. And let's see if we can make a a, a newer, better, different version of Robocop. And, and, and call him RoboCop 2 and 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 do it better than before through through different means. And of course the thing is it's a mess. You create this monster. And of course the first monster that you created in, under the guise of Alex Murphy, he has to come in and he has to clean up your your mistakes or or, or your messes or whatever. Whereas Mad Max, the original Mad Max, and then the Road Warrior, perfect post-apocalyptic science fiction what happens after society collapses and of all places the deserts of australia i've i've seen the original mad max with mel gibson and that's yeah that's clearly science fiction where society starts you start to see society fall apart in lawlessness and anarchy and people breaking up into almost feudal groups now do you think science fiction oh not to go off on another tangent like we tend to do um but do you think science fiction has to always be futuristic? Can it take place in the past? You mean in a galaxy far, far away? I, well, I don't, I don't see Star Wars as science fiction. <gasps> oh my God! But, um, um, no, I uh, think I think the thing is, is that there is this there's this beautiful mo- this uh, not beautiful movie. There is this beautiful book that I that, that that I read a long time ago back in 
back in the 90s when all I did was just read really like really good science fiction. Dick and Jane? Uh, no, it was a it, it was a <laughs> it was a different. It was a different. See <laughs> Dick. See Dick with a ray gun. See Jane. See Jane with a robot and a ray gun. See Spot. Spot thinks he's a dog. See Spot who is really a robot. <laughs> So the thing is, is that it was like there's this there's this long drawn out like space opera, or this this long drawn out like political science fiction. Everybody fighting over whatever the unobtainium was in this, and then it turns out that it was like the planet that they were that all this had ha had happened for was an ancient word for Earth, and and it turned out at the very end all these people annihilated each other towards the bitter end and it was and and mankind had to start over again um a hundred and fifty thousand years from um uh from the end of the stone age from the end of their civilization into our civilization right and all this time we thought this is happening in a planet outside of our solar system and lo and behold it was here on earth before yeah. before the well, rise of our civilization it it sort of looks like the future, though. I mean, can yeah. it can it truly take can can science fiction truly take place in the past? Not we think it's the future, but it's really the past. But like with limited technology, and you know, can you have a um, not not steampunk, but can you have a Victorian science fiction story? I guess Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, you know, can can. Why does it always seem to be futuristic or quasi-futuristic or post-apocalyptic? I think it's because you haven't read enough science fiction, and a lot of stuff does happen in the past. There are a lot of there's a lot of really great science fiction stories that have nothing to do. They don't even mention the planet Earth, and they don't even mention anything to do with uh, with with our timeline or anything to do with our calendar. And it was just like here it is, and it's like. Here's a society and a civilization that started from scratch in this um, writer's mind, and it says, "Okay, this is happening somewhere, you know, in a part of the universe where people have never heard of Earth. They've never heard of I Love Lucy. They never heard of the Twilight Zone. They have no idea who or what America is, so on and so forth." There's a lot of great science fiction that once you shake off the shackles of our common history and this planet and our geography and our and our history and whatever then you can start to just do do absolutely totally anything and science fiction does not have to take place in the distant past or the distant future it can happen anywhere and it was just like and i think that i i not enough science fiction stories that are being told through cinema take place in places far far and away or far away from Earth, so far away that nobody has ever has ever heard of us, as it were. And they and they're just trucking along, they're just grooving along, doing whatever it is that they do, and uh, it's a story in and of, of themselves, and and it and it works, and it works even better because you don't even have to constrain yourself with with our history and our path or our past. How, however, I I would say that. I, I think you're right. Science fiction doesn't have to involve humans. It could be wholly alien yeah. creatures. But we have to see something 
human in them to fully Dark Crystal. At, at least I do to fully appreciate um, what it is, and I think science fiction almost requires that um, we have to be able to see. I guess any good fiction, but science fiction particularly has to be about whatever man's potential is or what it should be or what it once was and whether it's humans or you know some other surrogate we have to be able to see that in the character oh absolutely and and, um you know going back to star wars it's like i don't um I, i think a lot of things because they have spaceships and ray guns and robots oh it's science fiction um no that those are science fiction elements maybe but um, and we've probably talked about this before, but it's you know fantasy adventure. You know what? Do yourself a favor and check out Quest for Fire. Yes. And you could almost make an argument that Quest for Fire is science fiction in the in the sense that how technology changed society. That's what also great science fiction has in common. How does technology change people? How does technology change the situation and the way people live, and how do they adapt? Almost does science fiction always have to involve technology, do you think, in, in some way? Um, I think that if it doesn't have some kind of technology, then, then it's fantasy. I Understood. think. I think. But it could also involve technology and still be fantasy. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, what about um, Fahrenheit 451? That's, um, that could go either way. It could be just a drama, or it could be definitely science fiction. I think the thing is, is that science fiction takes something that is just a, just a mild concern of ours. And the writer says, okay, what would happen if censorship ran amok? What would happen? And what would cause censorship to run amok? There we go. Hold on. Can you hear that? Yeah. Hold on. I, I, I need some liquid courage to get through the rest of the show. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Ah, anyway, I can understand. I can understand why. I'm gonna put this down here. I can understand why certain people don't like alcohol for whatever reason, personal, religious, whatever the reason is. But you know, it really tastes good. I can't believe you and I are are recording our podcast and we're sharing a drink right now. So what are you drinking? I am trying this something. It is called, the brand name is Bullet, and they do small batches of um, whiskey, scotch, and rye. Can you hear this? I can. Hold on. You know, that's really good. I need the courage to get through the rest of the show. Uh, um, yeah. The, I can understand why certain people don't like to drink for whatever reason, religious or you know, moral reasons or whatever, but I don't, I get it. I just don't understand it because maybe it makes me have, maybe this means I have a problem, but I really like the way liquor tastes and good liquor. Like what are you drinking right right now? Well, here's the thing. And next time you and I reconnect, uh, I'm going to bring you a bottle of this bullet frontier whiskey. Uh, and what can I tell you about it? It's small batch, and it is, um, this is a true straight American rye whiskey using 95% rye mulch for superior rye whiskey experience. Brand I've never new- had a pure rye before, so. It's, uh, yeah, 
and it's a, it's a it's a new brand called Bullet, and the thing is, it's right up my alley because it looks exactly what you would expect somebody from the 1930s and 40s to have hidden somewhere in their house or on their liquor cabinet or whatever. Does it have a screw top or a cork? Uh, it has a screw top. Okay. For some reason, we just had a... Right now, I'm, I'm drinking uh, Tullamardew. Uh-huh. Which is... It's an Irish whiskey. There you go. Um, my 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 standard go-to is Jameson, but I've 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 learned I've appreciated um, Tullamardew for some time. They had a, it, it's stupid. They had a great commercial, and I'd never had Tullamardew before. And I'm like, I have to try that, and it it lived up to the commercial. Um, yep. I'll, I'll tell you about it later, so you can watch it. But um, the uh, so I tried it. It's good. Um, but we. By chance, I, I bought a bottle of uh, it's small batch Irish whiskey called um, Teeling T yep. uh, T E L I N G T E L L something like I forget Teeling, and uh, it was really really tasty. Sounds awesome. And um, yeah, I really described it well. Um, it's good. <laughs> um, sounds great, but um, it really had a nice. Uh, I don't want to say malty sweetness, but it really had a certain um, oaky sweetness to it that you, you could really taste the the, the aging, and uh, had had a kind of subtle vanilla to it a little, but very very good. And uh, I finished it, so um, now I'm on the the um, Tillamere Dew bottle. But uh, I do I like uh, I used to hate whiskey too. Really, but I, but I, really I don't believe that. I, to it. I don't believe that, Doug. That's true. I, my wife was the one that got me drinking whiskey in the first place. I used to be a beer guy, you know, maybe um, a little bourbon now and then. You have you to know. thank her for us. I thank her all the time because yeah. I really enjoy whiskey. Well, anyway, here, here's, here's what I wanted to get into as far as the news, as it were. Mm. One of the things that we were talking before the break, we were talking about science fiction. And... Um, and the Oscars. And the Oscars. And here and here's the thing. And this is right out of um the one of one of the guys who is running the space program, civilian space program. I believe it was Jeff Be- Bezos who said okay. he wants to start sending people into space like within this year, 2016. To do what? Just just to put human beings into space um, with with his homegrown rockets as a means of getting the the space program um, to, to to kick it up a notch, kick it kick it into the next gear. Well, it certainly needs it. That's for damn sure. Would you fly into space on a commercial space liner if I had to pay for it, or if they were willing to f- freight the bill? Doug, your company, the Fedora Chronicles, is sending you out into space to do an exclusive story. I wouldn't even ask my wife. Really? We and I, I've told her that a thousand times. That if for some reason NASA came to me or whomever came to me and said uh, we want to send you into space, I would, I would, I would call her from the moon or wherever it was and say, "Guess where I am." I wouldn't even talk to her about it because that's how. That's how. Um, but, excited I would but, be. But wouldn't, wouldn't she want to go with you? I, 
if it was only one of us, I'd be greedy and I'd take her spot because uh, it's as as any I think you know young man or woman yeah uh, you know that grew up in the seventies and eighties you know astronauts were still heroes and it was like I would I would jump at that chance. All of my heroes have been uh, news reporters or uh, uh, cowboys or spacemen. And, That's mine, spacemen and cowboys. And and I think the ultimate hero would be a news port, newspaper reporter who was doing a story on space cowboys. You know, what I mean, mm. I, I no, I mean, I wouldn't hesitate. Not not a second. I don't care how how dangerous it was. I would absolutely go. I don't know if I would go for like a Mars trip where you're going to be gone for years, but um, if they somehow needed somebody and they picked me, I'd go to the space station for a year. I'd miss my family, but um, you know, maybe being in the Navy sort of kind of primed me for it. But you know, I can I can spend time away from my family, and it, it bothers me. But you, you get accustomed to it, like right. you're, like you kind of go into survival mode. So we're going to talk about Scott Kelly going up into space for an entire year with the entire question of, and I think maybe this could be the focus for the rest of the podcast. Because the thing is, is that it's like if somebody said, came to me and had said, Eric Fisk, we want to send your family into space for an entire year, the four of us, mm-hmm. Carol, Coppertop, and Tumble Fisk out into space with me. I, I and if and, and if the decision was up to me and me alone, crap. <laughs> Frey, I'm, pack your bags. Pack your bags. Yeah, yeah. And they and here's the thing: they don't even they don't even um, you don't even have to pack your bags because they provide all the clothes for you. I think my family would absolutely go. I really do. I think that that would be awesome. It would be incredible. But here's the thing, at what point, and, and um, Walt and I talked about this on the metaphysical connection, and now I'm going to ask you, is there a point when you've been up into space for so long that you just can't or won't come back down? I thought, I actually listened to that show. Um, I, I do, by the way, I do listen to shows that I'm not on. Um, and I do like metaphysical c- connection. But um, when you posted that question before on the show, uh, I I've often thought of that my, my my myself. I mean, it's like I would not want to come back. Like it's kind of like um, I would imagine it's like uh, what do they call that? Uh, being institutionalized, where you get yeah. so used to being in, in in prison or whatever that you 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 have to break the law so you can get arrested again and go back because that's all you know. Yeah, and I would I would think that they do quite extensive psychological testing so that that doesn't or that the chances of that are very minimal. But um, that would be a real concern that, you know, especially I would think that they would pick somebody who had a family like you wouldn't pick somebody who had nobody because they would be, I would think, more inclined to go, no, I'll just stay up here. That Thanks. No. Uh, but if you have a family, you'd be more inclined to go back because you have something to go back to. Um, but, yeah, I would think that after a while you would get institutionalized for lack of a better term and you might want to stay up there or when you get back I would think that you would have you got to have depression um, or like uh, not PTSD but something like that because you are you know 
you get used to like just letting something go and it's just floating. I mean, they they got to be breaking shit when they get back because they're <laughs> dropping glasses and you know knocking stuff over because they just don't. You know, physics are completely different, and you 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 you're not up there for a week. You're up there for a year, and stuff becomes habit after a while. So they got to break stuff, and they got it takes. I bet it takes a good year to readjust, if not longer, because you know psychologically you're like. You're 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 flying, you know. You're like, dude. You're Superman for a year. Yeah, and you know you're you you're doing something, even if it's six months or three months or whatever. It's like you're doing stuff that, in the grand scheme of things, a very very select few people have gotten to do, and the chances are you won't get to do it again. Yeah, and that's got to be a very uh, intoxicating drug that you have to fill in in some other way. Like, um, I I remember back when um, uh, Chris Hadfield was up in the space station, the Canadian astronaut. Yep, and he was the one that got me back into like, you know, loving. You know, I didn't give two shits about the space station or anything before that, uh, but he, you know, his. Um, Facebook posts and Twitter posts and he would do these songs up in space and like do these really cool like little videos about how they do food and I, I knew most of it anyway but it's the way he presented it it made it like you know he made astronauts cool again and it was like it took a Canadian astronaut to remind me how cool the American space about how falling in love with the idea of space travel yeah he you know Commander Hatfield was the one that got me to go. This is really cool. This stuff. is what I, I mean, want to do for the rest of my life, somehow, some way. Yeah. So to answer your question, I would totally do it, and I'd make sure that my family wanted to do it too, because it would be just, it would be an adventure that you know you could never replace. Like you could never duplicate that again. So you might as well do it once. Yeah, and the thing, you know, and to be absolutely, totally, perfectly selfish, I wouldn't even ask my family if they would want to go. That's I just the, sign them up. That's the sick part. I I wouldn't even say, um, hey guys, let's let's go out into space. Let's go do this thing, because the thing is, that there's so many things about space travel as we know it now. Well, I'm not even talking about the warp drive. I'm not even talking about colonies on the moon. I'm talking about spending a year on the International Space Station with oh, yeah. with every aspect of it. And it was like every everything you do, every task you complete, you are accelerating man's quest for further space exploration just w one step further. Why would you not want to be a part of that? I don't I don't get it. I don't understand you're, it. You're actually living not only living history, but you are Almost single-handedly. I mean, there's more than one astronaut up there, but each individual sure. astronaut is is single-handedly advancing, like you said, the the human race far beyond what would be capable had they not been up there. And uh, you know, we don't even know half of the experiments that they do uh, because it's top secret or whatever. But we we benefit from them being up there, whether we know it or not. And um, yeah, I mean, how could you say no to that? How could you say no to being uh, an integral part of advancing humankind no different than, uh, you know, Galileo or Einstein or Aristotle? You know, I mean, these people that have uh, – that when you think of human history, you think of these 
bigger than life personalities. You know, that's like I said before, that's uh, too intoxicating to to pass up. And you would become one of those legendary people. Exactly. And but unfortunately, astronauts usually fade away into uh, obscurity, which is uh, really just sad because they should be lauded as the heroes that they are. It's a crime. Call it what it is. It's a crime. The fact that we don't care about astronauts the way we care about athletes, professional athletes. Uh, and, and the thing is, is it, I mean, how, how can Kim Kardashian get more Twitter followers than Scott Kelly? I'm not sure if that's true or not, but if it is. I'm sure it is true. How, how, how is that possible? And what, what does Scott Kelly have to do? Show off his boobies in space? I mean, what the funk? It might help. I don't know. I'll look that up. You you keep talking. I'll I'll look up Twitter to see how many followers. That is just sad. What's what the fact that she has more followers than Scott she Kelly? She has forty one point four million followers. And I'm not one of them. Neither am I. And Scott Kelly. Let's see, Scott Kelly. Forty one million Twitter followers? Station commander Scott Kelly has one million followers. How the how how the how how is it possible? I don't know. Boy, we are really earning our explicit tag, and and here's here's the thing that it, that that drives me crazy. And I don't know if you remember this, like uh, there was Commander a, Hadfield, by the way, has uh, one and a half million followers. So at least is he there has any one. astronaut who has more Twitter followers than? Uh, Kim Kardashian? I, no, not even close. Oh, God. 41 point, what did I say, 41.4? Yeah. I need a drink. Is there any astronaut that has more Twitter followers than her? Not even close. God, that's disgusting. I think that what what really sort of like has me discouraged for the longest time is that I remember back in the seventies and eighties. I don't have much memory of the sixties, to be honest with you. The sixties were pretty much a blur. But the um, uh, the the seventies and the eighties. I remember space art, especially in Omni magazine, was like really cool. And it was and it depicted Omni. I love that magazine. And I remember looking at the pictures. Of what space life, what life was going to look like, you know, in space. What would what would people be wearing, and not and and what and how would people be living, and you know what would what would space crews look like, and what would spacecraft look like, in 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 the two thousands, and the in the two thousand tens and two thousand twenties. And it was, and, and the whole thing is, is that it's like everybody had like these really cool quasi civilian uniforms, as it yeah. were, with these one piece jumpers and stuff like that, and like utility belts, and 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 um, and and and, and really cool like light like moon boots, as it were. Nothing like that. Everything has been like further from the truth from from that. It's like we we don't seem to have that. It's it's not the future is nothing like what they promised. I think, and I think that that's 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 disturbing. So yeah, I want my I want my like you said my my military uniform, my utility belt with my uh, you know protein uh, capsules in it, and my rocket boots. 
I would like to see us go into the direction that what the future had promised us. I, I, I really do. I mean that. I, I really do. So anyway, what else is going on here in space news that I think is really important? Have you been following Buzz Aldrin lately? No, I didn't. I didn't know he was, uh, you know, buzzing about. Buzz Aldrin has this program, and I've been following it for a while. And the, the name of his program is Get Your Ass to Mars. And it was like, and Buzz Aldrin is, is leading the charge to get a, uh, a manned mission to Mars within the next couple of years. And I'm gonna, I, I, I have heard that he is pushing that, but I didn't know that it was an actual, uh, you know, full-on movement. Oh, he has T-shirts and coffee mugs. He puts the Fedora Chronicles to shame. Wow. He has, and he tweets about it all the time. I would think that if there's anybody who could rival Kim Kardashian in Twitter followers, it would be it would be Buzz Aldrin. Well, shit. I'm empty. Sorry. Uh, I think you should check that out. I'm going to check it out right now. My glass is empty, damn it. We got to fix that. Well, I can't go back downstairs. I can't tear myself away from the microphone, Buzz Aldrin. Not even a million followers. We got to change that. I'm following him right now. He just got one more follower. He's got two right now. I'm doing it right now via the phone. Oh, two. Destination Mars. Crap, you're not going to believe this. I I already am following him. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. He's my guy. He's my guy. So what else did you want to talk about? Let's see. Buzz Aldrin, the real space all Buzz Aldrin? I am, yeah, I've already been following him. Do you think it's us? Like, do we not prepare enough for the show that, you know, it seems to ramble a little bit or that we go off on these No, that's what people Or like. is that the charm of the show? That's the charm of the show. Okay, good. Because we talked about the Oscars, and I think that the thing is, is that the only you thing... You want to talk about the Oscars, I'm sorry, you wanted to mention something about uh, a particular movie that you felt was slighted. You really want me to get into that right now? Because I will you go... wanted to. I will go off on a rant here. Um, I, I'll first, do my best to hold you back. All right. I... Okay, so anyway, here we... So, name somebody during the 70s and the 80s, growing up in southern Vermont, who was a bigger Star Wars fan than me. Um, can't do it, can you? I can't do it, no. You can't name anybody who was a bigger Star Wars fan than I was during the 70s and 80s. And, I mean, I, for between 1977 and 1983, I basically, everything revolved in some way, shape, or form Star Wars. If I wasn't trying to dress like Boba Fett or, or, or Han Solo, you know, drawing pictures, writing little short stories, fan fiction, whatever. Um, you one, still have those? What, the fan fiction? Yeah. No, my mother's boyfriend, I think, burned everything. And but and the whole and so the thing is and it was just like and I mean I remember it was like early March or mid March whatever, and it was like the Academy Awards that were being aired in 1978 sometime in March and I was so excited because Star Wars was going to win the Oscar 
for Best Picture. And I woke up the next morning because my mom wouldn't let me stay up. And only to find out, lo and behold, that freaking stepdaughter, little freaking sleazy freaking movie, Annie Hall beat out Star Wars for the, the for the Academy Award Best Picture. And I'm you like, it? that's Here's a movie, and, and I kid you not, maybe popularity should not dictate what gets the best picture. But, you know, God, Snagglepuss, that... that Say it, go ahead, because we've, 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 we've already lost the uh, family demographics for this show, so go ahead. Because, dagnabbit, the thing is, you had people waiting around street corners, waiting to get in line to go see that movie. You had people waiting in line maybe six hours waiting to see freaking Star Wars. I will say that popularity doesn't always make a great movie. No. However, it should be a considering factor because there are plenty of very popular movies like the first one that comes to mind, Avatar. I didn't like it. It's, not even yeah. Not even really a little bit. Um, I mean, there are some. I guess there are some redeeming qualities about it, but um, overall, no, it's a terrible movie. No. It's Poca- it's Pocahontas in space. Yeah, but it's like. But how the how the hell could Star Wars lose anything to Annie Hall? I, I'm not kidding. No, you're absolutely right. And going back to Oscars, I guess a little bit. Shouldn't movies be considered best whatever, best sound, best picture, best director, best actor when they do their job the best? If and I've really sort of have uh, grown out of uh, liking Johnny Depp. He, I think he's overexposed. But when I saw the first Pirates of the Caribbean, it was like, how could he not win Best Actor? Isn't an actor's job to make you believe that they are not them, that they are that character? And if 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 that is their job, that how could he not have won Best pick, Best Actor? Because he was. Because that was a funny, entertaining film. Because the thing yeah. is, it's a, it's a comic book, a cartoon film. That's what, why. What, what what makes that less of a movie? It isn't. Why does it have to be a uh, you know uh, a drama or some serious? Um, I haven't seen um, Spotlight, but uh, why does it have to be a movie like that that wins Best Picture? Why can't it be a comedy? Why can't it be a uh, space you adventure? Know, a space adventure. A space adventure. Why can't it be a western? Why can't? Why does it always have to be? Um, oh, I guess westerns have one best picture. But you have internet awesome. access right now. Look it up and tell me if whether or not two thousand one, a space odyssey, won for best picture. Okay, keep keep talking. All right. So the thing is, is that so a couple of years later, Raiders of the Lost Ark literally captured my imagination, and I mean, it was like literally one of those things where it's like when the movie stops. It's like you have that moment of realization that, no, no, this is reality. You're sitting in a movie theater, and, well, unfortunately, the bad news is, well, you're you again. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is probably one of the first movies that was not a science fiction adventure film that captured my imagination and made me believe that I wasn't who I was for, for two, two hours. It's an engrossing action-adventure movie. And it's also somewhat thought-provoking in some way, shape, or form. And it lost to Chariots of Fire, 
when was the last time you actually said to yourself, oh, it's a rainy Saturday afternoon. Uh, I know, I think I want to watch Chariots of Fire. I mean, Chariots of Fire is the perfect movie as far as a cure for insomnia. Sure. That's what it's good for. And it, and, and it was just like, well, how, how could Raiders of the Lost Ark lose to Chariots of Fire? And then it was like, that's when you realize it's all fake, Doug. It's all make-believe. It's like the, the Oscars have no basis in reality. Sometimes, very rarely, they'll get it right. I saw Spotlight just on a whim because um, I remember where I was when I first heard about the Boston Globe doing this expose on cardinal law covering up pedophile priests in the Boston Archdiocese. Yes. Okay? I couldn't keep my eyes off that movie, and it was so good I had to watch it twice in the same 24-hour period. I'm not Was kidding. it hard to watch? Like, was it... Uh... Um, you know, knowing that that's a true story or like, can you consider a movie like that entertaining or is it just uh, thought provoking? It's sort of like this. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to dial it back to what I said. Some of my some of my childhood and adolescent heroes have always been news reporters, mm-hmm. cowboys and spacemen, of course. And the thing is, is that it's the story about how they broke the story. And it's a story about how this team of news reporters had uncovered this horrific series of events and brought it to the public. And essentially what they did is that eventually they stopped the pedophilia priests being bounced around and it forced the area to deal with the issue. And it's one of the things where it's like, okay, okay, we're talking about child rape. That in and of itself, you 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 just you you just your mind can't deal with it. You, you know, it's something. It's so horrible. It's like one of the most horrible things you can possibly imagine, short of killing a child. Right. And yet, the story of how they uncovered this conspiracy is phenomenal. You can't take your eyes off of it. And, it, and, and the way that it was acted and, and directed and lit, every, every aspect of Spotlight. And I'm going to say something that might be blasphemy. I actually think that Spotlight deserved more awards than Mad Max Fury Road. Why? Because the thing is, is that it, it, you know, I spent so much time in the Boston area. And they got so many aspects of Boston right they got it right. They got the look and the feel of how people in Boston dress. They had so many of the accents down. Every aspect. The thing is, they were able to capture Boston 15 years ago perfectly. And it was I was able to look at Spotlight and say, you know, Michael Keaton, like he dressed exactly like my dad when my dad used to work every day in Boston. All the, pe- all the characters in Boston remind me of people that I knew of the region. And I can tell you what it was like listening to all the commentary after, after uh, reading the, the articles in the Boston Globe, the Spotlight articles, and listening to people's reactions and how people were, at first, they were in denial and then they were incredulous and then they went into, you know, acceptance. To say, how can we stop this and keep this from happening again? And I remember the outrage when Cardinal Law just up and disappeared. 
Cardinal yeah. law up and disappeared. And then he showed up a couple of days later in Rome and he had gotten a, I guess he got a promotion or something like that. And he was like working like right outside the Vatican doing God knows what. How is it that Cardinal law is not in prison? I, I don't know, but, and I'm not trying to sweep this one under the rug, but I will say as a Catholic, I would love to have a full show on this. Sure. I think that would be, I think it's, it's uh, worth um, exploring as its own topic without going on, on tangents right. um, and, and to really focus on it as its own show. Yeah, and, and I will tell you something. When I was watching this movie, my heart really went out to you a couple of times, Doug. Because the thing is, I kept saying, wow, how, how would Doug react to this? How is Doug going to feel about, about this, that, and the other? And how, how, how would you react to something like that? I, I want to see the movie. I just, you know, don't, I haven't had the opportunity yet, but I will say this, that um, I know there are a lot of people that don't believe and I went along uh, a long part of my life without believing it's, it's not uh, a lot of people won't, won't like this, but I find the, the, the Catholic religion as uh, I find it in, in infallible. Sure. I find the Catholic Church uh, wholly fallible because it's the church, meaning the, the, the people and the organization around the religion that is uh, woefully inadequate to represent what the religion actually is. So, uh, yeah, and I wanted to be clear about that. And it was like I never really wanted to come out and sound as if I'm out to attack Catholicism. It's, but it's the okay leadership. if you are, because those are your feelings. And I have, you know, everybody is in, in, entitled to their thoughts and their own thoughts and ideas and feelings. And I have, whether it's something I believe in or not, it's something that I support. Just like, you know, being a, uh, a veteran, I support wholly somebody bad-mouthing the United States or stomping on the American flag or burning it or whatever. That's their absolute right to do it. Whether I like it or not is a completely different subject, but I completely support their right to do it. So whether or not somebody bashes the um, Catholic Church, I have no problem with that. See, you're a better man than I am as far as that is concerned. But I, I, but there are so many other movies, and Spotlight was just one of them, that I, that I see and... I say to myself, wow, that was like, that was like really great. And in Spotlight is one of those movies that took me to a different place in time. Mm-hmm. I think those are the movies that qualify as best picture. I think that it was like a movie that, um, a, a fine example, um, Star Wars, A Force Awakens, was, mm-hmm. uh, it took me back to a place in time that the prequels, episodes one, two, and three just didn't do. And it was just like I was back in that galaxy far, far away for, yeah, for two hours at a time. It was nice, wasn't it, to it, go back? It was, it, and it was incredible. And the thing is, is that there's a reason why we listen to John Williams' music when we're not watching the movie. There's, there's a reason why we buy all the video games. And there's a reason why we join all these clubs. Because, you know, we want to be in that universe. We want to be there. Even if it's for a short period of time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's aspects of it, whereas there's an aspect of the Star Wars universe that I wish that I could be in all the time. And and it doesn't have... Now, which comes first? Is it like the realities of space travel being 
on the International Space Station for a year because I'm such a Star Wars fan? Or am I such a Star Wars fan because um, I want to be on something like the International Space Station for a year? The answer is yes. Not to cut it short here, but we do need to wrap it up. It is. Yeah, it's it's got it's gotten to be an, an hour plus. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an hour show, and I think that obviously, I think I just gave you my 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 last words on this topic. Um, do you have any last words on this topic before we call it a night? On what topic? And we've bounced around a, quite a bit. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put a bow around this and say, do you think? Yeah, here we go. Do you think more movies about space travel, like Interstellar and The Force Awakens and 2001 A Space Odyssey and all those, do you think that movies about space travel deserve, as long as they're good enough, do you think that they deserve more Best Picture nominations? I don't care what the movie's about. If it takes me to a place that I forget that I'm watching a movie and I'm there with the actors and I believe they are who they are portraying and the story is good and the writing is good and the acting is good and all the elements come together to make me believe for two hours that I'm wherever that movie wants to take me, whether it's a comedy, a Western, a science fiction movie, a drama, uh, even if it's a slapstick, silly movie, it doesn't matter. They should all be you know, in the running for best picture. I think that that is a perfect way to end this very, very late follow-up Oscar special. So anyway, hey, Doug, thanks a lot. Real quick, to to go back, um, you asked me about 2001 Space Odyssey. uh, Before we forget, it did, it was nominated for best director, best writing, story and screenplay, and best art direction but it only won for best uh, visual effects. It didn't win for best picture? No. Crap, I, I thought it did. Well, hey, there you go. I guess that's that's all you need to know. How the hell did 2001 A Space Odyssey... I will tell you what won that. It, it was the 41st Academy Awards, I believe. Um, yeah, 41st Academy Awards, April 14th, 1969. Um, best picture was... Oh, boy. You're not going to like this at all. Okay, say it. (laughs) Well, the nominees were Funny Girl, The Lion in Winter, Rachel Rachel, Romeo and Juliet, and Oliver. And the best picture for 19... What did I say? 1969? Yeah. Uh, Is that what I said? Yeah. Yeah, April 14th, 1969. The best picture winner was Oliver. You know what? I saw it once and I thought it was okay. It's not a bad movie, but it's not, is it is it better than 2001 A Space Odyssey? Uh, I don't know. Sorry, Doug. No. I don't know. Nope. Nope. Anyway, hey, that's a perfect place to wrap it up. I think that more, more movies about space travel and space adventures need to earn more Oscar nominations. And that's it. That's it. So, Doug, hey, thanks thanks for doing another great show. It's, it's been Always awesome. my pleasure. All I right. love the show. I'll talk to you a little bit, all right? Okay. Hey, and you know what I always say, right? Keep your chin up and your fedora on. <laughs> You're the best. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Once again, this has been the Fedora Chronicles radio show. 
You can support us by making a donation via paypal.me slash Fedora Chronicles. We thank you in advance for any support you have to offer. You're the reason why we do the show, and we appreciate your help in keeping the lights on. You can also support the show by buying our products at zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. We have countless of products with our logos on them, and we also take special requests. If you have an idea for a product, design, slogan, whatever, let us know. You can also support the Fedora Chronicles radio show by clicking on any of our Amazon links. Once you click, just shop as you always do, and we just get a little something back as a thank you with no added cost to you. You can get in touch with us via the Fedora Chronicles Twitter and Facebook pages. That's a great way to suggest future topics, tell us what you like about the show, or just keep in touch. We'll even read some of your comments on the air. Finally, thank you once again for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. This is Eric Renderkingfisk signing off. Keep your chins up and your fedoras on. Put some distance between me and the microphone because I think that there's a perfect distance between um, my my uh, my my face and my butt. <laughs> uh, nobody else is gonna laugh at that, but goddammit, I thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And you set him up, I knock him down. That's right.